0: Thank you guys for being here, for braving the uh, blizzard. I feel like I should say Merry Christmas to you, I don't know. But I'm really glad that you're here. We're gonna be in Mark chapter four again today, in our continuing series, marching through this book one uh, chapter a week. Kind of taking a high level look at it. And today we're gonna take a look at one of my favorite stories, it's the parable of Jesus. And it's about dirt, about farming, about soils. Uh, My grandpa Cole was a farmer in Montana. I actually never met my grandpa Warren Cole. Um, In fact, my mother never met him. Uh, He died in a hunting accident while my mama was in the womb. But like a lot of you, I've got farming in my blood. And Laura and I have, uh, for many, many years, we used to have these massive gardens. You know, I never do anything really very small. So we go out to start, you know, a little five-by-five patch. And before we are done, we had a 50-by-50 patch of, of gardening going on. But I love getting in the dirt. I love planting things. I love watching them grow Uh, It's actually something that's very therapeutic for me. That may be why I love one of uh, my favorite stories here in Mark chapter 4. A little side note, I actually preached my very first sermon from this very passage. I was 17 years old. I was terrified of public speaking. In fact, I would take an F on an oral book report in school. But our youth director, a guy named Jack Dimster, conned me into doing this for the youth group. And so about 12, 13 kids had to endure the worst message I ever preached. Uh, from this very passage. Hopefully today will be just a little better. But like I said, we've been walking through this series. We're calling it the the Signature of Jesus. And uh, my intent, my hope in this is not just that you'll get smarter, though we want you to get smarter and to know more, but is that you'll be impacted by the mark of Jesus, the signature of Jesus on your life. I want, and my prayer is, I prayed this yesterday. I prayed it while I was walking through this auditorium praying for you. God, help us fall more madly in love with Jesus. And I want, as we walk through the book of Mark and as we see the stories and read the teachings, I want you to think about Jesus and I want you to be drawn closer to him and fall in love with the hero of Mark, who is Jesus. Before we jump into the passage, uh, let me give you a little bit of background about parables because we're going to be looking at the first parable that's actually mentioned uh, in the book of Mark. A parable is uh, simply a story or an illustration from everyday life used to illustrate a spiritual truth. So Jesus would draw on stories, illustrations, that especially uh, in that culture were very understandable, very relatable, and he used them to actually apply and teach spiritual truth. One of the things that we have to be um, careful to guard against when we look at the parables is a tendency to overstate their meaning. Sometimes theologians and we pastors uh, Go into a dozen different applications and points off a parable. And for the most part, every parable of Jesus is, has one main point and one significant truth. One thing that he really wants us to get a hold of. And so when we read the parables, when we walk through them, and as you are reading them, hopefully you're doing it on your own at home in the book of Mark, you need to ask yourself this question. What's the single simple truth that Jesus is trying to teach from this story? With that in mind, let's pick it up in Mark chapter 4, verse 4. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake, also known as the Sea of Galilee. And the crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. Now, I had the honor this last summer of being in Israel and being by the Sea of Galilee. And there's a museum right next to the sea. And this is a boat they pulled out of the water back in 1986. And you think, well, what's the big deal? Well, that's, that, what you're looking at is over 2,000 years old. Highly unlikely that it's the fishing boat that Jesus stood in, but it's one just like that. And this is what they've got. They've got it very well protected in this museum. And this is what Jesus did. He stood in a fishing boat. And the reason he did that is so the crowds wouldn't press against him, but also the water acted as a very natural amphitheater to uh, to project his voice. Let's pick up verse 2. He taught them many things by parables. Again, stories that illustrated spiritual truths. And in his teaching, he said, listen, a farmer went out to sow seed. And as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil, and it sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came out, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil, and it came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, and some 100 times. Verse nine, then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. That's an interesting phrase, not one that we use on a normal day, to day basis. And of course, we all have ears, but what Jesus is saying here is if you're teachable, if you have a teachable heart, if you're willing to listen, then let this, this truth penetrate your heart. Let him who has ears to hear, hear. Verse 10, when he was alone, the 12 and the others around him ask him about the parables. Verse 14, let's skip down to that. The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. And as soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once they receive it with joy. But since they have no roots, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Verse 18, still others, like the seed sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. Jesus, in an agricultural society and a culture very used to farming, uh, told this story. And in fact, again, I want to show you another picture that I took from a boat on the Sea of Galilee. And you see these farms everywhere still to this day. Though it's an arid region, much like Southern California, the soil is actually very fertile. And Jesus, when he's telling the story, I just want you to put yourself in the shoes of those that are listening to this very first parable from Jesus. He's pointing to a field. He's pointing to something that would have been very familiar to them. And he tells them a story that he knew would easily connect with them. And the wise thing again to do when reading the parables of Jesus is to ask this question What's the main point? What's the big idea? What's the single simple truth he's trying to communicate? Now, the spiritually uninitiated might answer regarding this parable if you just kind of read it on a surface level, well, dirt matters. And any farmer would tell you, yep, dirt matters. However, it's deeper than that, and what Jesus is trying to illustrate here is that the dirt, the soil, represents the the main point that Jesus is trying to make. It represents the condition of our hearts toward God. The condition of our hearts in response to God. Our hearts matter. And each type of soil represents a different kind of heart we have uh, in response to the word of God. A couple other things you need to know. The sower here uh, ultimately is Jesus. He is the sower of the word. But all those who follow him our sowers as well. And the word represents the seed, the word of God, represents the the message that Jesus brought, the good news that we can be restored to relationship with God through the gift of his grace and mercy, the good news of the kingdom, that the kingdom of God has come near and that's at hand, that the the message to repent and to turn to God, the seed is the word, it's the truth, the sower is Jesus on all those who would represent him, and they cast the seed, the word, into the hearts and lives of the people around them. And again, the big challenge for us here is to pay attention to the quality of our soil, to pay close attention to the quality of our hearts toward God and his word. And that's why Jesus warns them, let him who has ears to hear, hear. He knew that some, like the Pharisees, the people we've talked about several times already in this series, the overly hyper-religious Pharisees who worried about getting it right but missed the relational component of relationship with God and his, and his son, uh, they'd hardened their hearts against him. Others, Jesus knew this, that others, the fickle crowd, followed him only for the show. As long as it was exciting, as long as they liked what he was saying, they would follow. But he knew that when the trials and the struggles would come, that they, many would fall away. He also knew that too many, like Judas, for example, one of the 12, would ultimately compromise because the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches would choke out the word of God and the life. And again, it's this, this, the simple truth here is the condition of our hearts matters to God and I want to suggest that it should matter to us. So let's unpack the four types of soils or the four types of hearts here. And here's the first one, number one. The hard and crusty heart is unresponsive to God. And this is a heart that breaks the heart of God. The hard and crusty heart that is unresponsive. Verse 15, some people are like seed sown along the path and Jesus probably pointed to a path And it's been walked on by hundreds, maybe thousands of people. And it's hard. It's packed. You're not going to be able to get the seed through the hardness of the soil. He says, some are like the seed along the path where the word is sown. And as soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Now, I suppose that it's obvious, but I'll say it anyhow. No one is born with a hard heart. Now, we're all born into sin. But I don't think we just wake up one day and said, I'm going to be a cold-hearted son of a gun. I don't care. I've got a hard heart. It it doesn't just happen overnight. And so what does happen? What takes us down the path that gets us hard toward God? Hard and cold as as dry eyes toward him. Well, let me highlight just a few causes of crustiness in our life. And here's one. Hardness of heart is a condition that comes through repeated rejection of God and his truth. The reason why Jesus said, if you have ears to hear, hear, listen, is because he was brokenhearted over the fact that many were just doing this. They were not. They rejected God, rejected his truth, rejected his son. And hardness of heart will come. It will come every time we reject God and his truth. We hear the word. In fact, I've known people that have more Bible memorized than I do. But they have a nasty habit of ignoring God. It happens as we choose our way instead of God's way. We might know the right thing to do, but we choose our own path. And every time we choose our own path, our hearts get a little harder. Our hearts become crusty and dry soil when we are proud. The Bible, Old and New Testament warns against pride again and again and again. Solomon wrote that pride comes before fall, before destruction. Peter wrote that God opposes the proud. He he gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud. There's a warning again and again in scriptures not to have a proud heart. And pride is when we think we know better, when we think more highly of ourselves than we ought to, when we think we know what's best in God, whatever. And it's pride of heart, and it causes hardness of heart. One last cause I want to mention, there are many more we probably could talk about, but sometimes hardness comes when we allow the hardships of this life to make us bitter. We go through difficult circumstances and situations. And we become angry, angry at God, angry at others, and maybe even angry at ourselves. And that, that anger, that hardship, that, that bitterness in our soul creates a resistance to God. I know a man who lost his four-year-old son to leukemia. Tragic story. And he, once upon a time, walked with Jesus, loved God, prayed desperately many times that God would heal his son, but his son passed away and died. And that man became so angry at God, so bitter over what he went through that he turned his back on God. And guys, it cost him everything. It cost him his marriage. It it cost him his relationship with his other children who were alive and well. And ultimately, and worst of all, it cost him his relationship with God because he chose to be hard of heart. Jesus knew that a hard heart leaves us wide open to being picked off by the enemy. Like seed on a hard path picked off by birds. When our hearts are hard, the seed, the word, God's truth can't get get into our lives and transform us the way it needs to. And that's why the writer of Hebrews wrote in Hebrews 4, 7, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. There is again, if you listen, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. I want to encourage you this morning, if you've been unresponsive to God in any area of your life, if you've grown, grown callous toward him. Or perhaps you're just downright defiant or rebellious toward him. Don't stay there, don't go there. And You can confess that to God, own it. You can ask God to forgive you and to, to soften your heart toward him because a hard heart is a very dangerous place to be. The second type of soil or heart that Jesus describes is the rocky place, the rocky soil. Number two, it's the shallow heart that is vacillating and fickle about faith. It's a shallow heart that is vacillating and fickle about faith in God. Verse 16, others like seeds sown on rocky places hear the word and at once receive it with joy. They're excited. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes, and let me tell you, it will come. Jesus said in this world you'd have trouble. Trouble and hardship is just a part of life on planet Earth. He said so when trouble or persecution comes, especially because of the word, because of your faith in him, they quickly fall away because there's no root. The soil in Palestine is a lot like the soil in Spokane. Ever done any gardening around here? Rocky soil. And sometimes the seed is sown on what looks like good soil. On the surface, you're looking, well, it looks like it's great. But the problem is there's a bedrock. There's, there's, a, there's a, a layer of rock just below the surface. And the condition of that seed, what happens is it gets sown on that, and it takes root quickly, but it can't go very deep. And it sprouts. It germinates quickly because the rock beneath it warms up the soil. It, it seems to be healthy at first because the water can't go very deep. But as soon as the sun comes out, it bakes that, that seed and it kills it. The roots are hindered from going very deep because of the bedrock that's there. And Jesus says that kind of faith is not gonna last. It's, it's gonna vacillate and it's gonna be fickle. It's gonna be based on circumstances. Yes, you know, humans, we uh, typically remember our first, how many of you remember your first love? Nobody had a first love. Okay, good, a few of you don't. Uh, I remember my very first car, 16 years old, 1967 Boniac, Ponteville, four on the floor, Hertz 454. It was awesome. And I could lay a patch going into third gear on that puppy and had bucket seats, leather interior, and convertible top. Red with a black pinstripe and glass pipes. It was awesome. I will never forget that car. I regret, you know how much that car's worth today? Yeah, $40,000, $50,000. It's like, what was I thinking? I should have kept it. But anyhow, I remember my first car. I remember my first roller coaster ride. I remember my first colonoscopy. Not a good memory, by the way. (laughs) I also remember, I'm sorry. I I also remember the very first guy that I led to faith in Christ. I was in ninth grade in Hibbing, Minnesota. I've mentioned Hibbing a couple times and and maybe I just keep thinking about it because of the the Olympics and everything that's going on. We did curling there, anyhow. But I was ninth grade. I befriended this kid named Kenny. Kenny was about twice as tall as I was. Real tall, skinny guy. And Kenny was always in trouble. Always doing something stupid. He came from a broken family, broken life, broken home, and always messing up. But we became friends and we just kind of got to like each other. I invited Kenny to come to youth group. He came the very first night he went to youth group. He stole money from a, a girl's purse. She left it on a counter somewhere and he ripped her off. And he, then it was a matter of weeks after that that Kenny got busted for stealing a car. And he just did stupid things like this all the time. And he just, you know, oh, I'll just took her for a ride. Well, he ended up in jail. And the Hibbing jail's not a big place. And my dad was a pastor in town. And my dad said, well, let's go visit Kenny. And so we went down. And I tell you, you wanna you wanna scare somebody straight? Take them to jail in ninth grade. Man, it got my attention really quick. I thought, man, I don't ever want to go there. It was a scary place and it was dark and cold and just ugh. Well, we sat there with Kenny, and he wailed, and he wailed, and he cried. And he was, so, sorry, I did this. And, and, and he seemed to be genuinely repentant. And actually ended up, I led Kenny to faith in Christ. I prayed the prayer of that guy. The very first guy I ever led to Jesus was Kenny. But only a matter of months after that, Kenny fell away, fell hard from his newfound faith. You see, in a moment of crisis, Kenny had an emotional response in his heart to the good news. The problem is, Kenny had a what's-in-it-for-me faith. And I see this way too often in our culture today. I wish I could say this is just, you know, an old problem and it's gone away. Or, or, but it's something that still happens to this day. We have a, a, a relationship with God that's based on, well, as long as I get what I want, as long as it goes the way I want. But when trials and temptations come, when struggle comes, whatever faith we had quickly withers away because there's no roots. I've seen too many think that Jesus is just a quick fix to whatever struggle they're going through. They want to add God and faith like some addendum to their life. Well, I'm just going to add God. Or they, like, they treat Jesus like a supplement. I'll just take my Jesus pill today and everything will be fine. But the problem is they haven't truly surrendered their life to Jesus as Lord. They've approached him with, well, as long as I get this, as long as you do this for me, as long as I'm happy, as long as it's easy. But when struggles and trials come, they fall away. The crowds that followed Jesus, they loved him. And they followed him as long as he fed them, as long as he healed them, as long as he did the miraculous, as long as Jesus fit into their God box, meaning their idea of what the Messiah should be. But when his teaching got hard, and made them uncomfortable, they walked away. One of the most tragic chapters in all of the book of John, at least if not on the New Testament, is John chapter 6. And Jesus is teaching the crowds. And he's telling them what it means to follow him. And that they're going to have to, to, to die to themselves. And he's telling them, talking about his death. And that that's the way to relationship with God. And, and he's using phrases that they're like, "What you know, drink with your blood and eat your flesh. What are you talking about? And in John 6, 60, on hearing it, it says many of his disciples, not just one or two, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? I kind of went out "Oh, Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said, does this teaching offend you? And I'm like, yeah. And in verse 66, John six sixty six, I think one of the saddest verses in the Gospel of John. It says, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Why? Because it was too hard. I'm very clear about this. and If you're here today and you're investigating Christianity, I am so glad you're here. I don't know whether you wandered in or a friend brought you, and I want you to know this is a safe place to discover God's grace. No one will ever manipulate, try to control, force you to do anything. We just want to offer you what we've learned, the hope that we have in Christ and love you and wherever you're at. But I want to be clear about this. We cannot, you cannot come to God on your terms. We cannot come to God on our terms and decide to follow Jesus only if it's easy and convenient. Jesus offered his grace and his forgiveness as a free gift. Yes, it is free. He said, come to me. And and he did what we could never do. He paid the penalty for us and made us right with God. But he called us to what Matthew 7 calls a narrow path. And the whole point is, it's not an easy way. In fact, in Luke 9, 23, Jesus said these words. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Does that sound easy and convenient to anybody? No. Jesus wanted to make it clear, guys. What I have to offer you is this gift from God. It's yours for the taking. But to follow me is gonna cost you everything. You surrender your all to me. I wanna encourage you to not follow Jesus with a what's in it for me attitude. Because you won't survive, you won't last. But rather have a heart that cries out, Jesus, you gave up everything for me. How could I do any less for you? All right, the third type of soil, our heart that Jesus spoke to is the weed infested heart. And I got in trouble when I said this in the first service. So I'm going to say this very carefully. The third, the third part is the thorny heart. I said the horny heart in the first service. Can you <laughs> yeah, it was terrible. I just thought I'd mention it because you're gonna hear about it anyhow. So number three is the thorny heart is distracted and preoccupied. So is the horny heart. But Jesus is teaching here about the thorny hearts, distracted and preoccupied. Verse 18, still others, come on, stay with me. <laughs> you guys. <laughs> Verse 18, still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but, and here are the thorns, the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things, come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. What a horrible condition to end up in. With the word of life, Planted in you, and it's, and it's growing, and yet it's unfruitful and choked out because of the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things. Distracted and preoccupied by the temporary. Too many have been derailed from the eternal. Let me say that again, because I see this so often. Distracted and preoccupied by the things that we think are important, the things that we think matter, but they're just temporary. Now, am I saying that they don't matter at all? No, I'm just saying we gotta put it in perspective. We get derailed by the things that really are not eternal. We get sidetracked by the stuff that doesn't matter in the eternal realm of things, in the grand scheme of things. And too often, people lose sight of what truly matters most of all for a cheap substitute that will never last. Now, let me be clear about something else. It's not that stuff and money are evil. I have stuff. I've got money, a little bit. It's not that stuff and money are evil. But when our hearts, this is the point, when our hearts become fixated on wealth and possessions, our souls become polluted. And our passion for God suffers, always. Jesus made it clear in Matthew 6, and he taught about this on a regular basis. Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, Or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And trust me, the first hearers of this out of Jesus' mouth were just as shocked as we are sometimes. Wait a minute, time out. What are you saying? Well, Jesus is saying it's not hard to serve both God and money. He's saying it's impossible. We can only serve one master. That's the way we are wired. And Jesus warns us, choose God. Don't choose any other God but Father God. Matthew 6, later on the same passage, verse 31 to 33, Jesus said, don't worry and ask yourselves, will we have anything to eat? Will we have anything to drink? Will we have any clothes to wear? Only people who don't know God are always worrying about such things. Then he says, only pagans, those who don't know God, worry about such things. And then he says, your Father, your Father in heaven knows that you need all of these things. And then verse 33, but more than anything else. This is out of the mouth of Jesus, guys. More than anything else, put God's work first and do what he wants. Seek first the kingdom of God. You know, some people get very frustrated when pastors talk about kingdom values, especially if we relate it to money and possessions, which is what Jesus has done here. Some of the most scathing emails that I've ever received come from people who hate it when I challenge them to live with kingdom values, to put God and his work first. And I try when I, you know, get the opportunity to gently remind them that it's not my challenge. I didn't say this. Jesus did. And he's the one who said, you must decide whom you will serve, the God of materialism and money or the God of the universe. Are you going to serve what's temporary or what's eternal? And the proof that this is a heart issue is in the fact that we either try to ignore what the Bible says about this issue, we just kind of plug our ears and go, nope, don't hear it, or we stomp out in anger when it's brought up. And I'm begging you today, as a pastor who loves you, guys, you know me. If you've been here, you know, I have have never manipulated you. I have never guilted you. That doesn't work. I don't want to go there. But I am not afraid to challenge you to listen to the word and to ask yourself this question, if I'm mad right now or uncomfortable, Why? And is it possible that the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, or the desire for other things have in, has infiltrated your heart like a weed that is choking out the life of God in you? Is it possible? Years ago, as a young man, my pastor uh, had the guts to ask me to my face, Does your checkbook reflect your love for Jesus? And I mean, he got this close to me, looked me in the eye, and said, Boobna. Does your checkbook reflect your love for Jesus? And I was so ticked. I just wanted to dick him. So you have this hey, none of your business. And what are you doing? What are you thinking? And I just, all this stuff just came up inside of me. And I realized in that moment, though, that the reason why I was so angry is because the answer is no. My stuff, my money was mine. And it, didn't, my, it did not not reflect my love for God. And from that moment on, and Laura can tell you my wife and I have lived for the last 30 plus years in our marriage, putting the kingdom of God first, doing whatever God asks us to do, and we have never once regarded it, not once. Jesus said, watch the, watch the weeds, be careful of the stuff that will choke out the destiny that God has for you. Well, there's one final type, let's move on. Type of soil and heart that Jesus applauds, and it's number four, the good and productive heart both hears and acts upon the word. Jesus, I think at this point he's smiling and says, but here's the deal. Yeah, you can have a hard heart. You can have this shallow heart. You can have this thorny weed infested heart. Or you can have this good heart that is, both listens to, hears, and acts upon the word and it's productive. Verse 20, others like seed sown on good soil hear the word and accept it and produce a crop. I want you to know that God wants you to be a producer. He wants you to reproduce your faith in him. He wants you to make a difference in the world that he's put you in. He has a destiny, a purpose, and a plan for you. An abundant life is what John says. It's called the abundant life that we can have in Christ. It's an adventure that he calls us to walk with him. Easy, no. Challenging, absolutely. But it is the way we were made to live, and it's the only way we're going to experience the life God intended for us. And it happens when we hear and accept the word. God's ultimate goal for you, and you ought to to write this down, his ultimate goal for you is a transformed life that makes an eternal difference in the way you live and in the lives of others around you. God's ultimate goal for you is a changed heart, a transformed life. He doesn't want you just to know more. He wants you to be changed from the inside out, to become more and more the man or the woman God created and destined you to become in Christ transform life that makes an eternal difference in the way you live and in the lives of those around you. And the path to that experience is right here. It's not complicated, but it's really hard. We listen and we obey. We listen and we obey. We hear and we act upon God's word. Matthew 7, Jesus underlines again how important this is. He said, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. And again, we think, that means we get to heaven through works? we got to do? No. Do the will. The ultimate will of the Father is that we come into relationship with him through Jesus Christ, by the blood of his Son, through the sacrifice Jesus paid for us. We enter into the resurrection life that he has. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter in the kingdom, but those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven. And in verse 24, it says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it, listens and obeys, listens and follows it, is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Let me say it one more time. God's ultimate goal for you is to transform life, transform heart from the inside out, He wants you to change, to become more like him, to make an eternal difference in you and then for you to make a difference in the lives of those around you. Just like Jesus went into the darkness and was light, he sends us as light into the darkness. And as we are transformed, we have this influence on the world around us to bring the light to them. And that only becomes a reality in your life when we say yes, when we listen and follow Jesus' teaching. Well, let me wrap this up. Dirt matters. Your heart matters. The condition of your heart matters to God. And so I hope it matters to you. So what soil best describes you? Don't answer out loud, but what soil best describes you today? Hard, shallow, thorny, or fertile? And here's the last thing I wanna say about this, and I'm gonna tell one more story and I'm done. Here's the thing you need to know. You get to choose. I ask you the question, What soil best describes your heart? And here's the thing you've got to leave here with understanding. You get to choose. You choose the condition of your heart. And my prayer for you is that you'll choose wisely today. Jesus told um, a rich young ruler, found in Mark chapter 10, some truth that was hard for him to hear. This man came to Jesus, and it says he literally fell at Jesus' feet. He, he fell before the Lord. And he recognized there's just something great about this man. At the very least, he saw him as a rabbi, a great teacher. And he said, tell me, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And I, Jesus sets this guy up. And if you don't see that in the Scriptures, you need to read them a little more closely. He says, well, obey the commands. You know, you, you know the commands. And the guy goes, well, yeah, 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 I've done, I've done those things. I've done that. And I think with a smile on his face, Jesus goes, yeah, but there's one thing. <laughs> there's one thing you lack. And then he looks into this man's soul. He looks into his eyes, the window of the soul, and he says, there's one thing you lack. Go and sell all that you have. Give it to the poor and come and follow me. Jesus looked into this man's heart. And again, is, is Jesus saying that we all have to sell everything and live as homeless people and, 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 and not have anything? No, that is not the point. What he did was he looked into the heart of this man and he knew exactly what was ruling this man's life. He knew the God that he was serving. And he looked at this young man and he said, I know that you care. I have, I, in fact, it says, Jesus loved this guy. He said, I am so glad you're here. But there's one thing, and it's not gonna be easy. One thing you gotta do, you gotta crush the God that you've created in your soul, the idol that you've created in your life, and then give it all up and come and follow me. And tragically, it says that that man walked away sad because he wouldn't say no to the small g God, to his life, to his way. and He wouldn't say yes to Jesus. We choose. That man chose poorly. What are you gonna do? Bow your heads, let me pray for you. Jesus, I am... I pray that you would reveal to us right now, to every one of us sitting here in this room or listening online, that you would reveal to us the condition of our heart, that we'd be honest, that we'd get real, that we would confess the condition of our soil, of our hearts. And if there's hardness, Lord, help us to just confess that and to repent of that and to ask you to change us, to soften our hearts. If there's shallowness, Lord, and we've, we've, we've been in this thing called Christianity with a what's-in-it-for-me attitude, and we haven't been willing to die, to take up our cross and follow you, then, Lord, reveal that to us. Jesus, if there are thorns, there are weeds, if, we're, if our souls are infected with anything of this world, and it's so easy to drift into the materialism and the possessions and the stuff and, and, the, and the, the things that this world values. If, we, if we're there and our souls, our hearts have been infected, then God, do some weeding in our hearts today. We confess it to you. Get rid of that stuff. Help us to put you in that place of lordship in our life. Now, Lord, the ultimate goal for all of us is that we would be transformed followers of Jesus who go into a world making a difference everywhere we go, living the adventure of the kingdom. And that only happens, Lord, when we surrender our all to you and say yes to you. And so help every one of us today to leave here more deeply committed than when we came in. Keep your head bowed, your eyes closed. Maybe you're here today and you've not yet started your walk as a Christ follower. And you just know, maybe it was during a worship song, maybe it was during the water baptisms, maybe it's during my message, but you just, you know in your gut, okay, today's the day. Today's the day I say yes to Jesus. Today's the day I surrender my life to Him. Today's the day I embrace His grace and His free gift of salvation. If that's you and you know it's you, then I'm going to pray this very simple prayer. Again, what's most important is what your heart is saying right now to God. But would you make these words yours right now? Just make my prayer yours. Father, forgive me. I've gone my way. I've been cocky and proud and arrogant and I've sinned against You. I've sinned against others, and I need your grace and your forgiveness in my life right now. Forgive me. And right here at this moment right now, I surrender my life, everything to you. I'm going to follow you. Help me become a wholehearted follower of Jesus right now. Fill me with your spirit to empower me to live a life I could never do on my own, but I'm yours. I choose you now, right now. Thank you for choosing me. If that's you in your heart, again, just in your own way, say, yep, God, that's what I want. The Bible says that moment, that instant your heart says yes to him, you become his child. You're his. You're forgiven. You are forgiven, and you're his child. Lord, seal that truth in our hearts. And seal the truth of your word today and all of our hearts that pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to finish with one last song and uh, we're going to give. This is our time. Our tradition here, our practice is that we include giving as an act of worship. If you're a guest today, don't feel obligated to give. If you can't give with a cheerful heart, don't give. But I encourage you to give to bless the kingdom, to bless what God's doing here. Let's give in worship and as we do, I'll come, I'll come back afterwards and wrap it up. Some of you today, for the very first time, were able to sing that song and to really mean the words. You chose to follow Jesus. Today I want to encourage you to tell somebody. Come tell me, we want to walk with you in this journey. It's the beginning. And by the, ta- the doors, there's uh, tables. It's got a package it's for new believers. It's got some material in the Bible get gets you starting a walk with Jesus. And uh, it mentions the next First Steps class, which is coming up on March. Uh, uh, this is an old one. but coming up on March in a couple of weeks. So I encourage you to sign up for that. Get involved. A couple more things. Prayer team will be down front if you need prayer. You can also sign up to be a part of the prayer team. Communion is always available on both sides of the room. One last thing I want to mention. Next Sunday I'm going to be in Mark chapter 5 teaching from a passage that has always challenged me. I love it. And I promise you, I think of all the messages I'm going to bring to you from Mark chapter 5, next week's going to be one that's going to rock your world because we're going to talk about community and God's power in our life. So I encourage you to come back for that. Please be careful as you drive, as you go home today. Merry Christmas, God bless you, thanks for coming.